architects and AEC professionals, it's time to connect, grow, and redefine your professional journey. Imagine a place where you're part of a vibrant community, accessing resources tailored to your needs, and earning continuing education credits effortlessly. That place is here at Gable Media. Join our legacy membership, your exclusive pass to a world of opportunities. With instant access to all our CE courses and groundbreaking content, you're set to excel. And here's the game changer. Lock in your legacy membership at an unbeatable introductory price of just $29 per year, forever. Plus, enjoy contests, events, and unique freebies. But hurry, I hear this special pricing won't last long. Spots in our legacy membership are limited and filling up fast. Follow the link in the show notes to be part of something groundbreaking with Gable Media. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm joined by Patrick McLaney, FAIA, and former CEO of the international architecture firm HOK. This is Build Smart. After his time at HOK, Patrick, as he puts it, has been repurposed. Now, as the chairman of Building Smart International, Patrick will outline a new strategy for the building industry and so much more. You'll find that there's a lesson in every episode. Welcome back to Build Smart. In our last episode, Patrick shared stories about the early days of Building Smart International highlighting the initial 12-company consortium's effort to develop a prototype solution that would address building industry coordination issues, or, in Patrick's case, the plenum problem. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes to hear Patrick's full story and insights into how to reimagine the building industry. Today, we'll get further into the specifics and development of that solution, but first, if you recall... The work that was done by the group inspired them to continue to work together. However, they were left with enormous goals, but far less influence and very little funding. It was time to sell the concept globally and find ways Patrick, to expand. That 12-company consortium that started way back when has grown to become a thriving international organization called Building Smart International. How did it go from that original 12-company consortium to this international organization called Building Smart? Well, that was another fun chapter. Uh, Ian, who was uh, the real spark plug in the early days, Ian said, well, let's make the original 12-company consortium a chapter in the United States. And then let's have a sales tour of Europe and see if we can get other countries in Europe to join with us. And then finally, Asia. I did call on the Autodesk offices in country, and we kind of replicated the way we had started in North America. In other words, I said to the UK office and the German office, French office, Italian office, the, the Swedish office, can you get a group of companies together and some of the senior representatives from those companies? Because we want to share with you what we've done here in North America, confirm that the same business need exists. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. We did a lot of work back and forth to say, what is the message? How do we bring this message to the groups? How are each 
group going to take the message, right? Because obviously Autodesk, it was an international company. There's different kinds of cultures and the way we think. And they had big groups. This was not, you know, five people in a room we were presenting to. These were major presentations that had, you know, lots of people in the audience of all kinds, right? Not just government people, whatever. So in many ways, we always met before, spent time after our last presentation, did a debrief, said what worked, what didn't we? Typically, you know, uh, performance does, here's my series of songs I'm going to play. They're going to be a little different, but it's still the same series. We were actually rejiggering this thing every time before we walked into another audience. We would fly to a city in the evening, have dinner, go to sleep in a hotel, wake up, go to a meeting site and meet with people that Ian had invited to meet with us. And each place, it went pretty much the same. We would make a little presentation of who we were and what we were about. We had made a little film called The End of Babel. And if you remember uh, Bible history, the people in the Bible wanted to, to create this Tower of Babel that would reach up to heaven so they could easily communicate with God. And God, in seeing their folly of trying to reach heaven with a building, transformed everybody so they were all speaking different languages. And so when they couldn't communicate with each other and speak with each other, they finally abandoned the Tower of Babel and they went out and formed different countries and the world is filled with different languages to this day. So if you think about our building industry, Mark, we're all speaking different languages with our own softwares, whereas the overriding need to coordinate is that we all speak the same language. Well, we all completely understand each other and what each other needs so that we can ex we, we can do this by computers in addition to as people. The industry itself realizes all the problems in the industry to move forward, but it's hard to get that the monolith to go. But I think what we saw when we ran to start in with London, as, as Patrick said, they're excited about it. I mean, we try and excite not just, you know, governments who manage their own buildings like the GSA in North America, all the governments, all the private developers and building owners and, and architects and lawyers, we were trying to get a whole industry behind this effort. So that was the goal. So Patrick typically did the, the kind of intro and here's where we're going and here's what we want to do. And then I would kind of do the back end. Okay, here's, here's what that use case looks like for the industry and whatever kind of detailing, at least for the more technical, the more people who are in the trenches using these technologies, what does that mean to them? And I have to give you and Ken full credit for recruiting the French chapter, because another thing that happened on that <laughs> trip, if you recall, is that I wasn't able to travel into France. Uh, that was at a time where Australian passports were not welcome because of the atomic tests at Muroa Adel in the Pacific and all of the fallout from those atomic tests coming to Australia, the Australia government protesting. And there was uh, not good relations between the two countries at the time. So uh, I ended up having to miss the meeting in Paris. That's right. And uh, join you again in Munich just right. because I wasn't really a welcome visitor at that time. At the Paris meeting, the concept immediately clicked with one attendee, Alain Mori, who today is a retired architect and senior consultant for Building Smart France. At the time, he oversaw computer systems for a large engineering company, GTM Group. I was very much interested in methodology and the new way 
of doing engineering and architecture through CAD tools. I was very much interested in the functionalities of the software. But frankly, I didn't realize how important it was to have standards. And you revealed that. You, Patrick. <laughs> I said to myself, yes, that's a problem. That's a key problem, standards. We don't have standards. We need standards all over the world. I was not part of the meeting in Munich. I was part of the ACS trade show in, in Frankfurt. This is Rosso Steinman, a professor, consultant for building informatics and BIM, and chairman of Building Smart Germany. Uh, I think the reason why I was not part of the meeting in Munich was because um, I believe that this was mostly uh, put together by Autodesk and uh, I was with Nemechek. <laughs> Rosso received a degree in civil engineering at TU Munich in 1985. And after graduating, he worked for the Nemechek Group, one of the leading software companies driving digital transformation in the AECO industry. Before we continue, I need to take a quick pause to emphasize the name Nemechek Group, because you'll hear that name a few more times in this story. Initially an engineering firm, Nemechek's founder anticipated the industry's coming evolution in the late 60s and shifted towards software, which was originally developed for their own purposes. Today, the Nemechek Group is a vendor of software products that cover the entire life cycle of construction and infrastructure projects, and is now the parent company of several brands that you're likely familiar with. Graphisoft, Archicad, Vectorworks, Solibri, and Bluebeam, that's just to name a few. Now back to Rosso. He was a software developer and development manager for Nemechek at the time that Patrick and his team were traveling the world to share their concept. Autodesk put together a, a bigger a meeting at the ACS show in Frankfurt. I went to this meeting together with Professor Nemechek, who was still in business at this time. And we said, well, if this is the way to get comp compatible and future, with the world, then let's go for this. Um, I mean, there was also some mystery before this. I don't know whether you know this, that Nemechek uh, implemented a couple of years before Building Smart uh, came up, uh, Nemechek implemented a BIM server, which was called Open. This was the name Open because it, they believed it should be open. Uh, it was also an acronym for Object Oriented Product Data Engineering Network. So. And this came out of a couple of research projects, European research projects. And in, in this EU projects, um, we developed um, a product model. Today, we call these product models IFC. We actually had talks with Autodesk, whether we should make a joint venture. Well, Autodesk came to, to Germany, we had a discussion, and they said, thank you, and that was it. So therefore, we were not really so, uh, um, let's say, convinced that this approach, which, which we then have seen <laughs> from Autodesk, whether this really would be believed to be open or not. Yeah, I mean, Graphisoft from the very beginning is a big supporter of IFC. Everything what, what practically IFC represents, because you know that now it's very much more than, than those three letters. That's Victor Varkanyi. He's the Chief Division Officer, Planning and Design Division of the Nemechek Group. In this role, he's responsible for the division's global strategic alignment, as well as for positioning the Nemechek Group as the BIM market leader for connected end-to-end -end AECO workflows. Around those times, IFC implementation was always a big topic. 
uh, within within the company. And I think that the reason is that since Graphisoft has been focused on very specific market segment, making the best software for architects, obviously for us was absolutely critical and still it is absolutely critical to exchange data, to support customers for fluent business flows. Actually, I think, I think we were one of the few companies who had a dedicated IFC team, which compared to the size of the company at that time, if I remember well, was pretty significant. But I think that's true for many other Nemechek brands as well. In Norway, one of the early adopters of their message was Bjorn Stangeland, who at the time was CEO of Data Design Systems, DDS, a company that developed innovative software solutions under the brand of their Open BIM product family, DDS CAD, for mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineering professionals. My history with Building Smart goes back a long, long way. It's back to the late 90s when we actually, for my company then, DDS, we started the Norwegian chapter. And we have also been highly involved in driving the standards forward, contributing to the development of the IFC standard and later also BCF, IDM. And so on. So, so, so I've really been with this for a really long time. It's it's a passion of mine. DDS would later be acquired by, you guessed it, the Nemechek Group in 2013 and merged into Graphisoft in 2021. Today, Bjorn is head of strategic partnerships, planning and design division at Nemechek Group. Well, if you look at the Norwegian industry and perhaps also the Finnish industry, it's inspiration from other, uh, let's say, uh, areas. So in Norway, you had the oil industry, which really demanded high quality uh, documentation for oil rigs, for security, for economy, for all kinds of stuff and for maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. But I think seeing or understanding the need of having high quality and having open standards was higher simply because of the in Finland, maybe because of the shipping industry and the, all the shipyards and all that. So, so I, I think it's a, it's, it's a smaller country. It's easier maybe to, to get attraction and it's more visibility. So people see, ah, this is a good idea. Let's follow. So, so yeah, someone has to play the drum and then people uh, start marching after them. <laughs> so we would show this little film. We would each make a little presentation. And then usually after questions were answered and uh, so on, they would say, okay, now let us have our own discussion in our own language. So we would sit there and listening politely to in a language we couldn't understand until they finally concluded. And in each case, we had a positive reaction. Yes, we're quite interested in this. We'll work on forming a chapter in our region or in our in our country. The last place that we went that first week was Rome, Italy. And Rome was a place I knew well. I was a student there in my, in my youth. And uh, I promised Ian and Ken, let's go have the meeting with the Italian uh, delegation that's, that we're going to meet. And then I'll take you on a little tour of Rome, culminating in a visit to the Sistine Chapel. So we met with the Italians, and there must have been between 20 and 30 Italians there. And uh, we began to speak. And of course, there was stop, translate into, into Italian and back and forth. We played our little movie, The End of Babel. Then the Italians asked us a few questions with some translation back and forth. And then they said the usual thing, give us a few minutes. We need to have a conversation just in Italian. 
So we sat there politely and the, the conversation began to get animated. People began talking with their hands. And then pretty soon people were shaking their fists and pointing their fingers. <laughs> and, and polite conversation sounded a lot to us like it was a knockdown, drag out argument. Nobody rose out of their chair. Or there were no fisticuffs, but it was a pretty good argument. And uh, it went on and on and on. And we were fidgeting. And I kept thinking, well, I think the tour of Rome is out, but maybe we can still make the Sistine Chapel. So they finally said, thank you very much. We'll consider forming a chapter. So we said, thank you for listening and walked out the door and hailed a cab. And I said, let's go straight to the Sistine Chapel. We got there just as the door closed. We did have a wonderful walking tour of Rome uh, for the next uh, couple of hours. And I think I was able to buy you a can of Aussie beer at the Trevi Fountain, if I you recall. Did. <laughs> so that's how we started. Based on the responses we got from people using a new technique, something called email. People were emailing back and forth. Yes, we'd like to have a formational meeting. We had a meeting in London, England in May of 1996. And people were representatives from seven different chapters. Some were regions, uh, were in attendance. Uh, not only the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Japan, Singapore, and the Nordic, uh, a chapter from the Nordic countries, the four Scandinavian countries. So we had seven chapters in that first meeting. Uh, it was all quite exciting. I think there were maybe 50 of us at that meeting. And we organized ourselves around this idea that we would work by consensus. Uh, we would develop international standards. We would be decidedly neutral, just as the private consortium had agreed. And we had growing pains, Mark. We began to meet regularly. And much like the 12-company consortium, we had people having discussions about what information do you need from me and what do I need from you? And we had technical people helping us, but we had to learn how to trust each other and how to, how to see each other as individuals instead of representatives of another country. We weren't building a United Nations where you represent your country. We were building a group of what basically became international friends who found that we all had common problems. The problems that the architect in Japan faced are pretty much like the problems of the architect in the US or in Germany or anywhere else. It was hard work, but it was fun. I loved meeting and becoming friends with people in other countries. I was fascinated by sitting down over a glass of beer with somebody after a work session and learning about how somebody in Germany solves a, a problem that I have with my practice in the US or how somebody deals with uh, a building code issue. And there are thousands of variations of building codes, but all they're all about kind of the same thing. So uh, we discovered, just like you'd expect, we're more alike than we are different. And we have more in common. Uh, and the problems we face are, are much more common than we thought. And uh, I like to think of the biggest contribution of building smart is actually getting people together to solve things together. There are wonderful technical geniuses that have helped us along the way, but without that getting people together and building that friendship and then working together as friends, we wouldn't be able to do this. The name Building Smart 
right? You had this 12 company consortium becomes Building Smart International. How did that name, where did that name come from? Who named the organization and how did it become Building Smart? That's a very good question. That wasn't our name originally. When the 12 company consortium was assembled, at the end of that year, Ian Howell and others that were in the software business suggested that we become the International Alliance for Interoperability. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. International okay. Alliance for Inter what? <laughs> How did that not stick? <laughs> well, what does it mean? It means that my computer software understands and, and can exchange information with yours so they can interoperate. But interoperability, I think any, uh, any advertising firm knowing that you're going to brand yourself would say, don't ever use complicated, big, long, fancy words that nobody can understand or spell because that's the path to nowhere. So we began as the International Alliance for Interoperability, or IAI. But after a few years, Mark, we all recognized that it was, uh, the name was too complicated and nobody outside of our little group understood what the heck it was or what it meant. So we, uh, we developed a little committee that I chaired to come up with a new name. And eventually after sifting through lots of ideas, came up with the word with the name building smart and building smart. The two words are pushed together to become one word. It's a more modern idea. The word smart is in all caps to emphasize. We want to be smart about the way that we're building and uh, building is, could be thought of as a verb, the art of building to, to build, or it can be thought of as the finished product a building, but building smart uh, has stuck. We had lots of fun with it because in different countries, we had different interpretations. Yeah. And the, the Germans had a particular issue with it. The word smart, I think of Germany, not always has the same meaning as, as in English speaking countries. Smart sometimes has a little bit of the underlining lining meaning of meaning of snobby. <laughs> and I think this was uh, some of the, the concerns, but at the end, Finally, we translated it into Clever Bound, and then people said, okay, Clever Bound, Building Smart, and finally we got it. So it, it works around the world. Uh, people in every country have uh, gotten on to enjoying what that name is and what it, what it implies. And we have a very nice logo with some interlocking rings that are all about, we're all working together, we're all exchanging information in a seamless way. In order to build smart, you need to operate intelligently. If you feel frustrated wrangling all your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your projects stand today, or you're tired of staring at poorly designed software that's just slowing you down, Monograph is here to help. Designed by architects for architects, the Monograph platform allows you to track your firm's time, projects, budgets, invoices, and payments all in real time. With their innovative visualization tool, MoneyGant, you can immediately see whether you're under or over budget. Need to easily adjust your team's time week to week? Their tool resource allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Visit monograph.com today to see why hundreds of architecture firms call Monograph a game changer. 
How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. With the Building Smart organization officially on its way, it was time to develop what would later be known as the IFC standard. You know, buildings consist of familiar objects like windows and walls and doors. Everybody knows what a door is and a window is, but computers don't. And we found that computers could be taught to understand a window or a door or a wall and many, many other things as smart objects. And smart objects consist of four things. First, it has to have a specific name. And our name for a door is IFC door. Wow, how exciting. (laughs) It has to have a a geometry. So how tall is a door? How thick is a door? How wide is a door? The third characteristic of a smart object or smart door is what are the properties of a door? What does that mean? That means it's detailed information about that door. Am I a wood door, a glass door, a metal door? Do I have a window? Do I have a fire rating? Am I an exterior door? So I have a thermal uh, break. So there are lots of doors and lots of details about doors that have to be specifically described to the computer for the computer to understand exactly which door we mean. Because there, as we all know, There are thousands of different kinds of doors, but they all go under the same heading, IFC door. And then the fourth one, which was the most challenging of all, relationships. If I'm a smart door and I'm in uh, an architect's BIM model, I need to understand how I fit into a wall. Nobody builds doors unless they're going through a wall someplace, if you think about it. And the wall, which is a smart wall, needs to make an opening or a hole for the door to fit in. So those relationships of one object to another became quite important. For example, if the wall is a fire rated wall, the wall and the door could communicate and the, the wall could basically say to the door, oh, if I'm a fire rated wall, the door that's going to be in my fire rated wall, you have to also have a rating. This was quite complex, quite tricky to describe and to, and to make so clear that even a dumb computer could understand it. And it's taken quite a very long time 
to develop these four characteristics for smart objects that make up a building. Patrick, let me understand something, because I want to make sure those who are listening who may not be architects can understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about designing buildings um, and the software that we use is BIM software, building information modeling software. It's a, it's a tool that we use to design buildings. And the IFC standard is the standard that Building Smart has created in order for the BIM software, which is made by multiple companies for multiple trades, to be able to talk with one another, right? The IFC standard is this universal computer language. So BIM software A can talk to BIM software C and understand one another. And these characteristics that you're talking about in terms of name and geometry, properties and the relationships is how that the pieces within that BIM software can understand itself, right? And can become this universal language. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Before the IFC standard, software companies were beginning to experiment with smart objects, just like we were. And guess what happened? Autodesk was in their own silo with their own definitions of what a door is. And across town, Graphisoft was developing their BIM software. And guess what? They had their own definitions. So the definitions were sometimes a little bit alike, but often quite different. And that meant that if you if you were using an Autodesk software, BIM software, let's say Revit, and you, you were working with someone else who was using Graphisoft or maybe Bentley Systems, which is another big BIM software company, the ability for you to exchange information with the other software that's used by your engineer or maybe by the contractor was limited. Maybe you could exchange a little bit of geometric information but you couldn't exchange all the fine detail about the characteristics of, let's say, that door or that window or the, the relationships between the things so that the computers could not seamlessly exchange that information. What did that mean? That meant that people, you and I, architects, engineers, contractors, specialists, had to have meetings and discuss well, what do we mean when, well, how do we want to exchange this information? It required human intervention. And Mark, human intervention in a complex world of buildings is increasingly difficult. It takes a lot of time. It's tedious. And guess what? Humans make mistakes. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get a system, which is what Building Smart is doing, so that if the software companies could become compatible with a common standard for what a door and a window and a wall is, then it wouldn't matter whether you were using Revit or Graphisoft or someone else, everybody could understand each other and the information flow between the architect, the engineer, contractor, et cetera, regardless of the software tool, it would all work. We would all understand each other. We wouldn't have a lot of human intervention required for the, at least the routine things in a building. So that was our goal. It was to lift the tedium of coordination off the shoulders of the architect, the engineer, and the contractor and everyone else, freeing up, let's say, our architect friends and colleagues to focus more on being good designers. So I'm an architect. I want to focus my time on what's the size and the shape of the building and how green can I make it and how, how can I tune it to 
the neighborhood it's going to be located in, or how can I make it the best building that meets the owner's specific requirements? Instead of spending my time on minutia, if I could teach the computer to do that, wow, I could have more time to be a, the best designer I could be. Patrick, you were talking earlier, you used the word audacious. If there are hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of smart objects, how did you actually get this done? Because you're making progress. You're actually doing this now. How did you get this done? Well, uh, we, <laughs> we, we developed, it was a, it's a long journey, Mark. We've been at this 25 years. And we started slowly. We started with teams of people in different chapters in different countries. We made friends with each other so we could be the International Friendship Club. And we began to develop committees of people who studied different problems. What are the characteristics in Japan of a door? And what are the characteristics in France of a door and in the USA? And can we all finally agree, what do we have in common that we think about when we think about doors? What a door is, what a door's geometry is, and in particular, what a door's properties or characteristics are and how it relates to other smart objects. After our committees did their work and developed definitions of what a smart door is and a smart window and a smart stair and on and on it goes, then we gave those definitions, which were written down in a very specific form, we gave those to people who were technologically advanced and they placed those definitions into a lot, very logical, very rigorous positions in a highly structured digital framework. And this digital framework is called a schema. It's another forgettable word. And that is the IFC standard. All right, Patrick, this, this, <laughs> is, this is complicated. Can you make this a little bit simpler? So uh, this is for everybody out there that's not technically inclined, which is most of us. Think of the IFC standard as a well-organized kitchen. All right, I get that. I make that that makes sense. Uh, but this is a highly, highly organized kitchen. It contains the exact location for every pot, pan, and dish, and every piece of equipment that anyone using the kitchen needs. And uh, you will find them if you go into this kitchen to do some cooking. You'll find everything exactly where it is supposed to be. And whether you're a sous chef, a pastry chef, or an architect, the information is there. It's exactly where you need it. And it never varies. It's always back in its regular place. It's a kitchen for people that want to have everything easy and at hand and never have to think about where something is. And that's the highly structured digital framework that you're talking about. Yes, it is. These, these committees came together. They put together all this information. You sent it off to the technical team and they establish it in the right places, right? In the right drawers of the kitchen in this highly structured digital framework. So now it can be used as an IFC standard, as a universal language for these different BIM software to communicate with one another. Is that right? That's, that's correct. That's, you got it just right. All right. So now that I understand that, how has the IFC standard evolved since it's been created? Well, let's first talk about what we use it for. Building Smart is not a software company. We're a standards organization. So what do we do with our standards? We offer it to software companies for free. Anyone from the big players like Autodesk or Bentley to the smallest 
mom and pop startup software company are free to uh, take a version of our IFC standard and adapt their software, make their software compliant with our standard. So in other words, if they're using BIM software, which uses intelligent or smart objects, use our version, not your version, so that we know the same definition of a door is going to occur in Graphisoft, it's going to occur in Revit, it's going to occur in a startup company's software. Once that's done, Mark, good things can happen. Information can get exchanged. What's the incentive for these for-profit corporations to play nice with your organization? That was a hard hill to climb. At first, none of the big players wanted to actually take the trouble to build a compatibility tool. They're there to serve their customers and their customers weren't yet demanding, I want IFC compliant software. Gradually over time, some of the smaller players started to get their software into compliance with our standards. And eventually the demand began to swell in the ranks of the people in the building industry. Then really interesting, especially in Europe and especially in the Scandinavian countries, Northern Europe, the governments began to understand, oh, if we adopt this as our preferred standard, the government of Sweden, if we can adopt the IFC standard and ask that all work done for the Swedish government who builds buildings and so on uh, must be IFC compliant, then all of a sudden, all the software companies that want to do any work in Sweden say, well, yeah, I best, best do this. So uh, gradually, uh, we began to build momentum first in the user marketplace, and then finally in the big client marketplace. We're now uh, just releasing version 4.3 of the IFC standard, 25 years later. 5.0, which is a major new release, will come out in probably 18 months or so. And it's the IFC standard is evolving and getting much, much larger and broader. The first versions of IFC mostly dealt with geometry, a name and geometry. And that allowed us to do things like fit things together, but it didn't allow us to do sophisticated work. So as time has gone on, the goalposts have moved. We've learned that the IFCs can do so much more if we really focus on those last two characteristics of a smart object, their properties or their characteristics, and especially their relationships with other objects. So I can report to you today that Every major software company that serves the building industry now has adopted the IFC standard, every single one. And uh, when we have a new release, they work on changing their software to adapt to the latest IFC standards. And then that's not all. We actually test for compliance. We have a testing program and we won't allow them to use the IFC logo in their software or in their advertising uh, unless they have passed the IFC uh, compliance test. So this is a constantly evolving process. The testing that we do uh, has evolved dramatically since the earliest days, and it's now becoming much more automated as the IFC uh, standard has become much more complex. So because all of the big software houses have written IFC compliance software, and because now most major developed countries in the world have mandated the IFC standard for their buildings. Uh, the big software companies are writing their software to be compliant with the IFC standard. 
What has evolved out of this is something called open BIM. It's not proprietary. It's not just corralled or, or controlled by one software house. I can choose the software I wish to use as an architect. I might choose Revit or I might choose Graphisoft, both very good uh, BIM software, but I can make my choice now knowing that if other people on my team are using something else, I can still work with them. I can still exchange information and collaborate with them. That's open BIM. It's freedom to choose the software of my choice, knowing that I can still fully collaborate computer to computer, program to program with the other players on my project. So is open BIM the evolution of IFC standard? Open BIM is a term that has come into vogue, especially in the last 10 years, Mark. When BIM software was first created by the software houses, Autodesk and Bentley and all the rest, they began to have Autodesk BIM standards and Bentley had Bentley BIM standards. And of course they were all different from one another. So those standards were called proprietary. They belonged, they were the possession of the software house that created them. And if you bought software from Autodesk as an architect, and um, you got engaged in a project to design a new building, you encouraged or even mandated that your engineering team also use Autodesk engineering software so that you could collaborate with your engineers, even if that wasn't their first choice. Building Smart and IFC standards are open by definition. Building Smart is like the Swiss. We want to be friends with everybody and we're neutral. We don't want people to win or lose a project based on the software that they use. We want them to win or lose a project based on how good a job they do. And so freedom of choice for the practitioner is one of the big benefits of open BIM. And there are other benefits. Yeah, let's let's get into that. And because now we know what IFCs are. Can you go a little bit more detail on the benefits of IFCs and having these companies contribute to making this happen and continue to evolve? Yes, there are four big, broad benefits to using IFCs in the software of your choice. The first one and the big one is automation. Getting the computer, getting the software program you're using to begin to take over a lot of the heavy lifting of coordination and uh, collaboration with colleagues that you're designing with or building with. This is the way the manufacturing world works, Mark, and that's allowed manufacturers of everything, automobiles and airplanes and everything in between to drive up the quality of their products while they're driving down the cost. Normally in the building industry, you don't get that. Right. If you want quality, you have to pay up. Well, we want to reverse that curve. That's the first, and that's the big one. Second one is that the IFC standard is an internationally recognized open standard. Most of the developed world now has IFC standards uh, mandated by their governments. Here in the United States, IFC standard is, is mandated by GSA. That's the General Service Administration. That's the division of the federal government that builds federal buildings. Uh, and AASHTO, the Association of the 50 Highway Departments in the United States. And AASHTO has now, just in the last year, adopted the IFC standards for all new roads and bridges and tunnels and so on. That's a huge thing. It's also the standards, uh, Mark, 
are recognized after we create our standard, we send it to ISO. ISO is a world standards body, international standards organization headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. We have a special partnership with ISO and we have building smart people that convey our standards to ISO committees who review our standards and do voting by country and adopt those as ISO standards. So we have the backup of having IFC standards recognized by the World Standards Organization of ISO as ISO standards. Freedom of choice, we've already talked about. And then finally, reliability. This is a big deal and it's a big deal over time. Mark, if you are a building owner or even a homeowner and your, your building gets built using some software and so on, five years, 10 years down the road, you decide you wanna remodel or maybe make an addition. Building owners have been struggling with how can I keep the information in my building from the time it's built, all the renovations up to date and accessible. How can I use that information again and again? Most building owners, when they start a new project to renovate or to add to a building, have to hire an architect or a team to come in and survey what's there and make some, uh, make some new drawings that describes what exists at great expense. And then finally, a new team can be brought in to add or modify the building. Well, the IFC standard can actually serve as a database for the project information at the end of the job. And the IFC standard is fully backwards compatible. Years or even decades later, you might have a brand new software uh, from a company that didn't exist 10 years before that will still be able to open and read that IFC software, that IFC standard and extract all the data about the smart objects in that building. Uh, IFC standards live forever in the cloud, basically, or on a server somewhere, so that 10 or 20 years later, you can come back and it'll still be there. And uh, that's a huge benefit for anyone that wants to, to take advantage of the long-term benefit of, of information that is not the wasted or thrown away after a, after a project's completed, which is typical today. So you've come a long way since that original meeting with that coalition of all those companies that formed Building Smart and eventually created the IFCs. And it is changing the world. It's changing the way buildings are being built today. We're going to get into some really interesting applications and stories about how it is changing the world in future episodes. Before we wrap up today, Patrick, what are the lessons that we need to take away from this episode? First, the IFC standard is open and it's neutral. It's available to any IFC compliant software. So any software company can build a compliance with IFC and join the rest of the world. The IFC standard is based on smart object technology to teach those computers how to recognize what a door and a window are and all the rest of the thousands of objects in a building. And the IFC standard is now helping us to reduce coordination errors and costs while improving the quality of the building. That's a huge benefit. Buildings are getting better and we're lowering the cost because we're getting more efficient at designing and building. And, um, of course, we give architects and engineers and contractors and others their choice. Which BIM software would you like to use? As long as it's IFC compliant, help yourself. And it helps us all manage complexity, including finally storing that information long-term 
so it can be used again in the future. Because buildings last a long time, let's keep that information available as we modify the building or eventually, of course, at, at the end of life, deconstruct the building and recycle it. To continue the story, come back next week for the next episode of Build Smart, where Patrick discusses bringing designers and builders back together to share the risk and rewards of building. Uh, design bid build is now changing. It's more flexible as owners are beginning to understand that it's not as workable uh, in today's especially litigious environment. The worst service we can give a building owner is to have a lack of collaboration between design and build. And so why not put us together? There's a well-known process called design build. And often these design build projects have a positive incentive to encourage collaboration. If you build the project within the original budget and within the original schedule, there will be a bonus for the design and the build team that they will share. Thank you for listening. Season two of Build Smart Podcast has been made possible in part by Building Smart International, the worldwide industry body driving the digital transformation of the world's built assets. Learn how Building Smart International is impacting our world and how you might get involved at buildingsmart.org. This podcast is a Gable Media production and is produced by Demetrius Lynch Jr. Gable Media is the home of curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. You can listen in, subscribe, and find more content like this from our network partners at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Woo! Woo!
Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.